You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and of One Step Off the Grid. And I'm joined as usual by solar industry veteran and solar analytics executive Nigel Morris. Nigel, how are you? I'm really well. Thank you, Giles. Uh, Lovely to see you down in Sydney last week. Hello to all the listeners. Indeed. Look, it was the Smart Energy Conference last week. Um, Quite a big roll up. Interesting vibe, actually, I suppose. I mean, you know, a lot of enthusiasm about about the market, but a little bit of apprehension about the future, I would say, and um, not surprising given the uncertainty over the policy. I think it's a really good wrap of the whole thing, actually. You know, there were there were good numbers there. You know, I focus my attention at those events on who's on the floor, who's on the booths, and and you know what's um, what's the vibe from people about the show. And um, it was kind of an each way thing. Was, the numbers were okay, but you know it was maybe a little bit down. Uh, they were all bullish, but also, you know, as you said, I'm quite nervous about um, the policy void that we continue to find ourselves in. Well, it was interesting in that at that conference, the Smart Energy Council decided that um, they've clearly had enough of this nonsense and basically launched their campaign, which they've continued this week. Now, for those who haven't really caught up, the National Energy Guarantee did get sort of punted down the road by the COAG energy ministers last week. Now, that was more or less expected. The mechanics of this um, National Energy Guarantee are looking better. Uh, because a lot of improvements have been made um, by the Energy Security Council, particularly around their recognition of the benefits of distributed energy, of demand response, and the fact that we're actually going to a smart energy future. The problem, however, is not in so much in the mechanics anymore, even though there's a few things that need to be ironed out. It is very much in the emissions abatement, and that all brings it back to the federal government. And analysis after analysis says that this is rubbish, this is a joke, and if we actually impose this National Energy Guarantee with um, the low emissions target, then we're actually going to hold back renewables in the future, and that's a major issue for some of the large-scale solar and wind project developers. And I guess the big question when it comes to August is going to be, do the states say yes to this guarantee without a proper emissions target and then just hope for a change of government? Or do they just sort of say, no, we're not going to have this National Energy Guarantee until you get serious about emissions reduction? And it was interesting to hear Oliver Yates in the webinar earlier on this week making the very, very good point is that if you think you're going to attract investment simply on the basis of an election result in the future, then you're kidding yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But look, that's that. That's the situation there, and I'm, I was I was pleased to see you on the floor there too, Nigel, and giving a couple of interviews with the TV people, and um, and yeah, and there was a little two cents worth. Yeah, there was a little opportunity to get in front of the camera, which uh, I'm never shy of. So you know, um, I think you know this issue is important. We've got to get out there and keep the pressure on them to make this policy genuine and make it really work. And again, you know, stop the faffing around. And and Giles, you you know, but from what I understand, the detail around the real detail around the neg has has just been released or is about to be released for the states is that right 
Nah, look, uh, what happened was there was this high-level um, quote-unquote thing that was distributed two weeks ago before the COAG Energy Ministers. Look, it basically unpacks a little bit more of the detail, certainly removes this bizarre idea of having physical contracts between um, parties to meet these obligations because that was never going to work and was simply going to reinforce the dominance of the retailers. There are still concerns about that, but really the actual high, the, the actual detail is now going to go back to the Energy Security Board. They're going to roll out another draft, more detail this time, go backwards and forwards, have a hookup in June, um, do a couple of other things, and then put it to a vote in August. So a fair way down the track, um, but probably not quite as far down the track um, or, or not as long a distance to go as the coalition does within its own party to get serious right. about emissions. All right, but still a fair bit of detail to come yet. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, look, let's get on to other things. Now, we've got Indeed. a bunch of things on the agenda today. We've got great solar, we've got crap solar, um, we've got some more <laughs> crap policy, and we've got some EVs. Yeah. Let's start with some good news. Um, great solar. Now, tell me about your 4G LTE device that you've installed at your place. Yeah, so this is a bit of fun. Um, I get to use my house as a, as a testing zone for all manner of devices. I've, I've lost count of how many I've got there now. And the latest one that we're getting ready to get onto the market is uh, is the 4G version. So we use a 4G uh, SIM card and inbuilt modem instead of 3G. And we're also able to use uh, LTE, which is a, another similar um, uh, transmission protocol, but allows us to uh, do that more cheaply and more reliably. So um, that's good so far. We're just getting signal testing and uh, uh, confirming that we can get the data through at more cost. And the other one that's even more exciting for me is I finally got a solar diverter installed at my place, Giles. You, you know what solar diverters are, right? I do, but why don't you go through it for the consumers? It's essentially the ability to sort of divert um, some of the power onto uh, one of your appliances. Well, well yeah, actually, no, yeah. It's, a more, it's a bit more. It's, a, it's quite specific is, in my case. This, this is, is the catch um, power. Is this what? Um, oh, who was it? Scott about? Gorilla Solar. Gorilla Solar. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, depending on your perspective, the networks kind of view it that way a little bit, interestingly. Um, but what it does, it's it's a box of electronics, and effectively, what it does is it uh, looks at your consumption, it looks at your production, and it says if there's excess energy, divert it to in my case, the electric hot water tank. And so what I'm able to do is capture my excess during the day, preheat my tank or stop it cooling down during the day, if you like, my old electric tank, um, and, and therefore not have to heat energy so much in the evening. And now, I stress, I, I have a tiny little solar system. I have a 1.1 kilowatt solar system, and I have a little Enphase battery under the house. So I'm working the pants off this system. I really am, you know, <laughs> it, is, it is brutal life as a solar panel in my home. But I thought, well, let's see what this thing can do, because like most families, we're out a fair bit during the day. So I'm still spilling energy during the day. Um, and so the, the net result of this, it's been in for about a month, and the net result of this is really, really interesting. Firstly, um, my exports have dropped from about uh, 20 odd percent of, of my monthly energy was exported, and that has now dropped um, to uh, zero. So I am not exporting a single kilowatt hour to the network anymore. It is hmm. all absorbed. It either goes into my battery or it goes into my load or it goes into my hot water tank. So uh, over and above everything else, that just feels wonderful. 
And I, I can I, imagine. I, I just, I just think philosophically, I love the idea that I'm not sending any of it out. I'm using as much as I can, as much as I can in the home. Whether it's economic, whether it makes the most sense, I'm not even really worried. I don't even really care, Giles. I'm just really happy that I get control of where that energy is going. So, on that, it's really, really successful for me. And secondly, on the, on, on I guess on the energy and and sort of economics perspective, what I can see because my systems. Uh, monitored um, like no other system in the world, I suspect, um, is that I can see in simple terms, I have reduced my hot water purchase, the, the energy that I purchase, typically on off-peak, by somewhere between 30 and 50% giles. Really, really material reduction in my purchasing, uh, my purchased energy for electric hot water heating. My off-peak off comes on typically for about half an hour instead of three or four hours like it used to. And I'm looking for a phone call from PowerShop to say, what on earth have you done? Your bill's just dramatically changed. We want to know what you've done in your home. And that'll be followed by an announcement from PowerShop that they've just increased the network component of your bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me, um, these solid diverters, um, how much do they cost? And, and, yes. and are, they, are they the sort of thing that I would use for my electric vehicle when I get it sometime in the future? Yeah, two excellent questions. So I'll answer the second one first. No, this one is dedicated. <laughs> this one is, there are devices that can do that, right? But, but this same one sort of is, principle though, isn't it? Oh, exactly the same principle. Yeah. Exactly the same principle. This one is built specifically with electric hot water tanks in mind. So it, it's purpose built for that application. Made in Australia, designed in Australia. A couple of great guys who've got a company called Catch Power. They've got two models. Um, in rough terms, if I remember correctly, the retail price on the base model, which is the one I've got, Got, is about seven hundred and fifty odd dollars, uh -huh. somewhere around that mark. Um, that might be X installation actually. Um, and then there's a more sophisticated model that has an internet connection. It has the ability to do some more advanced forecasting. It's remotely accessible and has a few other uh, sweet uh, remote features that runs at about twelve, thirteen hundred bucks off the top of my head. Mm. So not a bad investment in in terms of storing my excess energy it is the cheapest battery you can get if you've got an electric tank sitting there doing nothing and you spend you know call it a grand on a diverter uh i can store if i've got the energy available i can store 14 kilowatt hours of energy in that hot water tank mm. uh so it's the cheapest storage money can buy and and like i said at the beginning the best thing about it i'm in control of where my energy goes i just love it yeah, and, yeah. And, and good good job by the Aussie guys building a terrific product. There's been a few around over the years that have been pretty uh, pretty clunky and not really done the job, and we're watching this one like a hawk, and so far it seems to be fantastic. Oh, good for them. And it's really interesting what you just sort of said, just being in control, and I'll just point readers, if they hadn't already seen it, to the articles that we're running this week on uh, One Step Off the Grid and Renew Economy um, about some of the um, people, the, um, the uh, rapidly increasing exodus off the grid, um, and not just people sort of in um, in rural communities not connecting in the first place because you'd imagine that the up upfront connection costs are so high, but also some of the mansions you know in and around Melbourne which were also leaving the grid. People just with a phenomenal cons daily consumption and they're just saying bugger this, we're just going to go off the grid because yep. we can. So it's ha it's happening. That's the point I made in the press release. You know, in in the news pitch was I said you know I don't know what it's going to take for these guys to open their eyes and say and and see it's happening all around them. Let's just well it, look. It's what it's 
what the, it's what the networks and the CSIRO warned of two years ago. You say if you don't get your policy right, people are just going to leave the grid, and one third of them might leave the grid if you're not careful. So do something, and yep. um, they haven't done anything, and um, people are starting to leave. And um, yep. you know, I mean, I don't think we'll get to a third. I'd be very surprised if it does. But geez, there's going to be a significant amount of people who do, and quite frankly, I do not blame them. No. Now, um, let's get on to some um, sadder news, um, some rubbish stuff. Um, yes. Crap solar, um, some, crap solar. some inverter problems. Um, let's just quickly go through them. I don't want to sort of really harp on them too much. No apart worries. from the general um, notice to um, consumers to be very careful if something is really cheap. Yep, exactly. Um, so three important announcements by the Clean Energy Council in recent weeks, including one that literally came through just a couple of minutes ago. So firstly, um, there's an inverter um, out there called a JFY. Um, the JFY inverter was delisted um, a bit over a month ago because it was found to, under random testing, not to comply with the standards that are required for in Australia. Um, they appealed that um, delisting and it was subsequently denied. So there is, uh, it is still delisted and there is work to be done by JFY to be able to get that inverter back on the market. Um, today we heard about another one, slightly worse, which is actually a recall. So it's uh, been driven by um, the ACCC, usually responsible for, um, uh, for recalls, the CEC announced it this afternoon. This one is called a Shenzhen SOFAR Solar Mass Energy Inverter. Um, uh, 410s proprietary limited. It's a long name, but basically, I think in most cases, it's called a SOFAR mass energy inverter. Um, mm -hmm. It has also been, it not only um, will obviously be delisted for the time being, but will um, uh, is subject to a recall. Same type of issues, not disconnecting from the grid in the way that it's supposed to. So two lessons for, in this case, two Chinese inverter manufacturers in, in A, making sure their products are compliant and B, uh, making sure that they continue to test their products and make sure that they meet every requirement and good on the CEC for taking swift and hard action on these two. Is it the too simplistic to say that you can probably get away just with cheap solar panels but you can't get away with cheap inverters? Oh, I, I, no, I think that is too simplistic, Giles. Um, you know, I think we're seeing modules delisted as well, right? And Huey Daheng uh, PV modules were delisted, and that's on the back of uh, literally thousands of other modules that were delisted late last year. So, you know, what we are starting to see is the standards are rising, um, particularly a lot of them are be being delisted because they do not meet the latest uh, fire safety requirements. And so if they can't okay, show well, compliance important. with that, they're yeah. delisted. So it's very important. So, you know, you get what you pay for. And what we're seeing here is companies making shortcuts, uh, they're getting caught out. And it's great to see them getting caught out. Let's hope they lift their game and can get back in the market. Okay, let's move on from crap products to crap networks. Now, um, you've got a bit of a gripe with Essential Energy charging $26.65 per application. An application well, that's, for what? That's to have your solar system connected to their network. And, oh, excuse you me? Know, yeah, um, and you know, there's been a lot of noise about this on the social media forums lately. For commercial, I had someone uh, pipe up the other day and say they were being charged thousands of dollars for connecting a 100 kilowatt system. And in many cases, these application fees are very new. They've caught a lot of people by surprise. They weren't necessarily aware that there was an application fee, firstly. And secondly, there were more than one installer piped up and said, 
said, I've just got an invoice for applications that I've submitted over the last 12 months, so I've now got several thousand dollars worth of application fees that I didn't even know I was, that I was required to pay. God, so it, just, it goes on and on. I'm, um, I was talking to one of the installers um, earlier on this week, and he was telling me about um, essential energy again and the privatisation of the meter readings. Um, but um, hello, in some of the rural areas, which is where essential energy is, and some of them that don't have mobile reception, they've actually got to pay someone to go out and read the damn meter. Mm-hmm. 45, 45 bucks per reading. That's four yep. readings per year. That's $180. Plus the fact that essential energy already um, charge you $560 before you flick a switch. So um, it's just getting ridiculous. It is, and, 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 and you know, I hate to say it, I mean, of course there's a cost for processing applications, right? Everyone gets that, um, but these fees are just being randomly shoved out all over the place. They seem to come with little notice and, 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 and you know, sometimes they apply, sometimes they don't. Um, and depending on who you talk to in the network call centres, and they are generally call centres, sometimes offshore, there seems to be a great deal of confusion about what does apply and what doesn't. Um, there was another one the other day where... Um, uh, I forget which network it was I had. No, I'm not going to say it because I'm not sure. But uh, the network connection limit that was being applied, so how much solar can you put on, was as little as 2.4 kilowatts per phase. So, so you know, what all of these things equate to is barriers to getting solar on. It's just barriers. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's random kind of all over the shop barriers. We've seen this before and, and, you know, I just, I know the networks work hard. I know they're doing some great things, but I really encourage them to get on top of this stuff because at the moment, all it's doing is making connection harder. And driving those off-grid movements as we've seen. Now, um, moving on from crap networks to crap policy. Um, This is a bit of a sad story. Now, we've kind of touched on this before, particularly in Renew Economy, about the change of government in South Australia. Mm. Um, um, And there's a couple of issues here. One, um, as we reported last week, um, Sonnen had been meeting with the government to try and work out what they're going to do with their battery storage policy because Sonnen had promised to build a manufacturing, or had proposed to build a manufacturing plant um, as part of a South Australian government scheme that would provide sort of zero cost um, installations on low income households. Um, mm-hmm. Tesla have got a similar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Tindo Solar, the only manufacturer in Australia which is based in Adelaide, had an interest in both of these schemes because they both would favour local manufacturing. But you say that there's a bit of an issue going on here because of the uncertainty um, around what the government's going to do. Jos, we have seen this over and over and over again, and politicians do not seem to learn the lesson. It's really, really simple. Uh, what has happened in, New S- in South Australia is because the government said, no, 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 we're going to change the program and we're going to give rebates away, uh, punters, quite rightly, are sitting on their hands and they're not purchasing. So in the case of a couple of solar companies I spoke to last week, they said the inquiry rate alone had gone down by 50%. 50% less people inquiring after solar as a direct result of the announcement that the incoming government, now the exist, now the incumbent government in South Australia made. So what they, what that announcement has done is it's 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 caused punters to just say, well, I think something's going to change. I think some money's going to come, so I won't make a decision about purchasing solar yet. I'll sit on my hands for a little while. This is devastating for industries and businesses, and we've seen it happen over and over again. And they should know better. And you're um, saying that Tinder has also shed staff. 
They have. Uh, Tindo said they've seen the impact directly. They move very, very quickly. They have to as a small local uh, PV manufacturer. Um, and uh, they they told me they had been meeting with the government and expressed in no uncertain terms that they'd already seen a decline in inquiries. They'd seen a decline in sales and they moved very quick to ensure their overhead was under control and sadly had to shed a couple of positions. So, you know, it is already costing people um, their jobs. It is already impacting businesses in Australia and I really plead with the new South Australian government to get on quickly, develop a good policy, whatever it may be, make an announcement, get in the market fast because you are crippling people's businesses. Yeah, that's pretty sad, sad to hear because Tindo Solar, um, of course, had actually thought of doubling their manufacturing output at their plant um, based on the Tesla and the um, Sonnen deals. Um, what I think is going on here, Nigel, is that the new government has come in and just suddenly realised that the previous government, the Labor government, actually had some pretty damn good policies and they're pretty smart and pretty well calibrated. And so they're probably just trying to sit there and figuring out and say, actually, that wasn't such a bad idea. How do we make it look like our idea and go ahead with what they were planning on doing? So... Um, Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. Bingo. So go. Everyone's, everyone's trying to work that out for them now and make them look good and just get a policy out. But the key is that you know, they really need to start thinking about their, their impact. Uh, yeah, there, are, yeah. there are very clear consequences. Okay, now let's let, um, finish off with some positive news. Um, electric vehicles. Um, yeah. Well, actually, not entirely positive, is it? Because I think there's been a recall with zero. <laughs> well, there's good now, news what's and been happening? Bad you've, news. Got, you've got a zero, Nigel. What's, what's going uh, on? So um, there's two parts to this story. Number one is there has been a recall announced on 2012 models of zero electric motorcycles only. So there's not heaps of them out there, um, mm -hmm. especially not in 2017. There's not that many left. But um, for those the three that are owners there, are listening as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> there are no. There's quite. There's more than that, and a few fleets. Uh, so for example, the Hong Kong police had a fleet of 2012s, and there were quite did a they few. Really? A yes, they did. Motorcycles. Yes, they did. There's quite a, quite a few police fleets out there. Um, but anyway, the long and the short of it is it, it seems like, um, well, there is a recall in place now. There have been uh, uh, at least four... Uh, fires on the 2012 Model Zero, um, which is emanating from the battery pack. Apparently, what is the cause of it is they switched from uh, MolyCell to EIG, another company, um, in 2012, and they moved from a cylindrical cell to a pouch cell. And in that first year that they went to a pouch cell, um, they basically stacked the pouches inside a box and sealed it all up and off we went. What can happen over time is those pouches can move around a little bit and it can cause a, a, a rubbing which can cause a short and if they short they go into thermal runaway and catch fire and that's indeed what has happened with a number of bikes. Luckily and just to be clear everyone beyond 2012 which includes my model luckily uh, the pouch cells are A of a different brand and B they are fully uh, potted so they're basically there's a there's a, a whole bunch of goo that's poured in there so that nothing can move and it's fully uh, waterproof as mm. well. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's disappointing for 2012 owners. Um, interestingly, my bike broke down last week. I was coming back from Adelaide, jumped on it and left the airport, uh, got to the boom gates and it wouldn't go. And uh, so there's been a lesson there for me. Um, luckily, um, luckily for me, the short version is there is a guy I know called Brett Sutherland who is just about the cleverest guy in the country with electric vehicle motors and I don't say that lightly he is a genius he has a bunch of great guys and he's 
already worked out what he thinks the problem is and it looks like in simple terms I just have to retune the motor a little bit that's done fully electronically maybe a little bit of manual adjustment on a little sensor but basically what happened was uh, a, a bit of gunk got stuck in my belt it probably shocked the motor and it's knocked the timing of the motor out a little bit so fingers crossed couple of weeks I might be back on the road. Tell me what you did when you got to the airport and it broke down did you come back on the train with it? <laughs> Suffice to say, there are a lot of panic phone calls and a lot of things, but ultimately uh, I left it securely at the airport overnight and jumped in an Uber, which was ah, very a very sad ride home. Now, look, um, you're not the only person to um, have a bit of an issue with electric vehicles. Um, Elon Musk, um, oh my he goodness. of Tesla fame, really interesting story coming out of there. Of course, people might remember he ramped up his production of the Model 3, which has been you know, much delayed, um, particularly for Australian consumers. We're not going to see it until mid next year at the earliest. Um, so he ramped up production in the last week of March um, to settle a few nerves and then kind of suspended production completely and had a few interesting things to say about one, his plan of this sort of fully robotic uh, production line. He's saying that it was really overcomplicated and wasn't working. And he had this delightful quote, humans are underrated. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And he, he'd, used, he'd actually used himself from terms like, you know, Westworld for, um, for, for, for EVs and things like that. And um, things like that. We actually ran a story about that in, um, last week. Um, we got from Joe Rom on Climate Progress. And I've got to yeah, say, I was he pretty... Was... Was he was pretty... freaking out. He was totally freaking out. In fact, he was talking to journalists saying, if you're not clear whether I'm freaking out or not, I'm freaking out. Well, it he was... was freaking out. Yeah, well, <laughs> we ran this story and um, and uh, we got a really um, extraordinary um, um, criticism for running this story from, from some people, which I was quite surprised really? about. Yeah, look, I just think, I, I think Elon Musk is fantastic and brilliant. But I mean, look, he's admitted an error here and uh, we're going to report about it. And it's really, really interesting. And good on him for admitting it and starting over again and, and working out what to do. So, um, you know, I think, it's not necessarily I th a bad story. No, I don't um, think it's a bad it's actually, story it's at actually all. A really, it's actually a really interesting one, particularly what Elon Musk says about artificial intelligence. And um, he's very cautious about it. And um, he's kind of got caught out with it on, on his own production Himself. Line. Indeed. Mm. I, I think it's a really profound thing. And here's why. Because when one of the leading protagonists of, of artificial intelligence and, and, and robotic automation reaches a point at which he thinks he might have gone a little bit too far with it, and it's now starting to cause him internal problems, that's a really, really wonderful point to reach because it means that okay i've tested the boundary and i found the boundary right there's no shame in that there's no harm in that as long as you know he can get his production lined up and running without too many delays um it is a wonderful point to get to because what he's done is find a boundary and Absolutely. that's a lesson that everybody benefits from so um, well, I well think... I'm, I'm feeling very reassured now that robots will never take over our spot in this podcast <laughs> Indeed, we're underrated. He said it himself. <laughs> Humans are underrated, and Giles and Nige in particular. Particularly so. That's right. That's right. So I think it's I think it's a really profound point in the evolution of this whole space, Giles, because he's found a boundary for us, and that's exactly where, what we need. We need people who are going to push the boundaries, and we're going to need to find them, and then we're going to need to share the lessons in that so that yeah. others don't make those same mistakes. Great. And just, great and just for the record, I really hope he succeeds, not just because I actually want my Model 3 as soon as possible, and not because I have shares in Tesla, because I do not, 
But um, you know, in the long run, it doesn't really matter whether Tesla as a company um, succeeds or fails. But the longer that it is around and pushing the boundaries, um, it's going to keep all the other auto manufacturers honest and accelerate that clean energy transition, which, Indeed. thanks to our politicians, um, sometimes looks like it's going to stall. That's but for not sure. With people and like Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah, and and look, love him or hate him, and love of their products or hate their products. You know, here's here's something that someone said to me. We were to, I was chatting with a with an installer the other day who was looking at various different battery products, and I was saying, what are you what are you working with? What are you playing with? What are you installing? What do you like? What don't you like? And and he said it's, he said it's really simple. It's like this. Tesla have built a beautiful looking product. It's fully integrated, so it's incredibly simple for me to install. Um, it's incredibly simple for a customer to understand because they're just buying a box, and it's well-priced. Um, so what he has achieved in doing that is nothing short of absolutely remarkable, right? And he has been incredibly successful and set the bar there at that product. Now, the challenge that he's got is he can't deliver them. He set the bar really high and he just can't get enough out there. And this glitch in the Model 3 production line is not going to make things better. And it's driving customers and installers having, mad. Having, having said that, having said that, he's still got from zero to a production model in quicker time than anyone ever has before, in, ever, in the automotive Absolutely industry. Right. So, Absolutely you know, right. Absolutely right. It's yep. only because yep. it's at his own high standards. And look, I mean, look, the guy has ridden, uh, has walked a tightrope um many times over the last few years anyone who's read his um biography mm. will note that and um, that's just the way the guy is wide and programmed um yep. hey, look, let's move on to some other things very quickly before we turn into pumpkins and have to um end this um <laughs> podcast um jaguar and ferrari by thinking about evs now the new jaguar ev i think the ipace which i think is coming this year isn't it into australia if you can possibly afford it yeah um, um but i mean well you're saying here that it looks pretty good well i bloody well hope so at that price <laughs> yeah and and look i mean there was some really there's a great little um oh, i think it's like a 15 minute long video breakdown interviews with all sorts of people involved in the design process really really good tech detail if you're interested in understanding why they believe they've made a made a better car what kind of lessons they've learned from looking around there what kind of technology they've used um, how they've they've done some really cool things just with you know simplifying the car by um, sapping waste heat out of electronics and using that to warm the cabin for example in in areas or to use that waste heat to go back in to keep the battery at the optimum temperature so they're really they go they've they've done some really made some really good technical advances in making the whole ecosystem of an electric vehicle more efficient which i'm really interested in it's a good looking car the reviewers really liked it um, um you know and and it's affordable if you're in a luxury if you're a luxury car buyer so um yeah i'm really really looking forward to that hitting the road and it looks like they're moving very fast you know they're virtually in production i believe so that looks really cool well there you go excellent and just very briefly i think there's a nice little story on bloomberg this week about ferrari and their plans for electric vehicles and um, it was ferrari or uh, lamborghini i think it was lamborghini wasn't it no i think it was ferrari actually oh was it yes, okay yeah. oh there you go i mean um most people only see ferraris because they hear the bloody things go down the road because of course the, the jerks that drive them i'm sorry the people that drive them um <laughs> You just offended eight of our listeners, Giles. <laughs> eight of them? Oh, no. I, I, I'm my, being optimistic. My, my, my humble apologies to you all. Um, 
Um, but yeah, so just imagine a silent Ferrari. That'd be interesting. Yeah, and and look at Porsche there. All the majors are there in one form or another. VW have been making announcements over the last few weeks as well, and yes. getting closer and closer and closer. And, and Porsche are very active in the space, putting in superchargers and stuff. So, you know, clearly anyone who um, who wants to, and and it's really interesting that it's the performance guys who are leading this because the electric vehicles deliver such fantastic performance Um, so it's a great place to start from because it's way fun indeed Nigel we're going to wrap it up there Um, it's been great talking to you again we've got through a lot of stuff today Um, and really good so um, thanks to our listeners once again and thanks to you Um, I've enjoyed the podcast I hope you have too good on you Giles Uh, good good on on your listeners good on your listeners and please leave a review tell your friends about it um, etc etc and we'll speak to you again in a fortnight's time bye for now Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring by navigating the changing energy landscape Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and saves money visit solaranalytics.com.au get empowered and make the most of your home energy